2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers, all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com. All right, all right, all right. Let's get fired up here. Maximum freedom. Read. Stay on target. Maximum freedom. Stay on target. Maximum freedom. Read Rothbard. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Actual Anarchy Podcast, the podcast where we talk about movies from a Rothbardian anarcho-capitalist perspective. And tonight we're going to wreck it. It's what we do here on the show. We're going to wreck, wreck it, Ralph. And we're also going to let you in on a little known information that is a, a, like kind of behind the scenes, little teaser information that Robert found in a video put out by Fee, which is really excellent. That is the keystone to understanding who the true perpetrators are in this monumental struggle between good and evil based on video games from our childhoods. So Wreck-It Ralph, episode 104 of the show. Show notes and more at actualanarchy.com slash 104. How you doing, Robert? Get wrecked, Daniel. Oh, yeah, we will. We will. And then FE is the, Fu- the Foundation for Economic Education. They do a lot of good uh, YouTube videos, breaking down economic concepts, and they, they do good stuff over there. So go to YouTube and subscribe to their videos. And unless you're already like Murray, you're probably going to learn something. So it's good stuff. Check it out. Yeah, learning stuff is good. Lifelong learners is what we are here. And speaking of lifelong learning, um, Cyber Monday is still right around the corner. And and right now, the Tom Woods Liberty Classroom is on sale for the lowest prices of the year for the Master Membership. We'll throw in a few bonus extras like the uh, Read It or Dot Me membership and a few other things. And so you can find that at actualanarchy.com slash deals. So the landing page with all of the special deals that are going on through uh, the entire shopping, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, extravaganza, gross uh, glorification of consumerism, just all the worst things in the world all happening at once. It's it's totally uh, oppression for, for everyone uh, because there's so much abundant choice and opportunity (laughs) for you to get things that you want for less than you would normally pay. So it's totally horrific. It's a nightmare scenario. You're living through your worst possible couple of days here, but I urge you to make the best of it and save some scratch. Well said. Yeah, do that. And um, if you feel like it, maybe support some of your favorite podcasts to keep the lights on. Check us out. Yeah, we could even use more lights because I... On the video feed, I can't see me very well. So I could use more lights over here, I think. No, yeah, you're very gray. Gray lives matter. I'm, I'm like NPC level. Yes. I mean, you're you're like that anyway, but yeah, even more so on video. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. So what do you say we get into the last nighters portion of the show, and then we can get into the uh, conversation on Wreck-It Ralph because the, uh, the new one is out in theaters. So it seems timely to discuss, shall we? Yeah, get wrecked, Daniel. Do 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 do. Hey everyone, it's Daniel and Robert, The Last Nighters, and The Last Nighters is part of the Launchpad Media, where we're always launching new ideas in your direction. There's a whole slate of shows, new ones coming out every day, different providers, different content, music, news, entertainment, libertarian philosophy, law, and movie reviews, which is what we do here at The Last Nighters. You can find all of that and more at thelaunchpadmedia.com to borrow from some old internet commercial during the dot-com days i think forget yeah, what that what was, was that? i want to say that, it was um expedia maybe yeah that's it yeah expedia.com well then wasn't there wasn't it also amazon 
Amazon.com. I don't know. No, that, was a, that was another thing, but that was a bit for a while when people didn't know what Amazon was. Right. And then there was a car commercial back when we were in college that I want to say it wasn't Volkswagen. It was something similar, maybe Kia, maybe not. But it was like backslash.com all day long. Like do, 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 backslash.com all day long. I think you know that's more talking? recent than that. I think no, that was more no, like it was in college. Really? We were, li- we were living on the lake house. No, and it was like somebody works in cyberspace, something, something backslash.com all day long. Yeah. yeah, yeah, beautiful stuff. Johnny works in cyberspace, and then Jesse works in blah blah blah. That was twenty years ago. I know, right? It's it's Get amazing. Out of here. By the way, this is episode forty-seven, and we are talking about Wreck It Ralph tonight. So we are going to go back because it is a bit of a nostalgic movie, kind of harkening back to the Donkey Kong, Super Mario kind of era of video games, but then also mixing it up with some cutting edge like Halo, Kill 'Em All, first-person shooter shit, and then uh, the Gaudi-inspired Sugar Rush land speed racer kart racing game which is kind of a it's this is a fun story i think and so we'll get into it uh but before that i want to let you know that this show is coming out on monday cyber monday there are still some deals out there for you like tom was liberty classroom bluehost might still be having their lowest prices of the year the tuttle twins book series might still be having their best uh prices of the year so do check it out at lastnighters.com slash deals we got a landing page with all the stuff uh if you buy on our links you will be supporting the show you will keep the lights on here and also um you know, you'll get good stuff as a part of the deal. So, you know, everyone wins. It's it's mutually beneficial trade. That's what's happening here. And and more than one person gets improvement. You both do. And so do we. So it's like a three-way. Yeah. So, you know, episode 47, lastnarish.com slash 47. Here's the Google description for Wrecked Ralph. Wrecked Ralph came out 2012. It's a fantasy science fiction movie. Says it's listed at two hours here. 7.7 on the IMDb, 72% Metacritic, 87% Rotten Tomatoes, and 95% of the Google users like it. The description is arcade game character Wrecked Ralph, played by John C. Riley, is tired of always being the bad guy and losing to his good guy opponent, Fixit Felix played by Jack McBrayer. Finally, after decades of seeing all the glory go to Felix, Ralph decides to take matters into his own hands. He sets off on a game-hopping trip to prove that he has what it takes to be a hero. However, while on his quest, Ralph accidentally unleashes a deadly enemy that threatens the entire arcade. Directed by Rich Moore, this is a Disney-slash-Pixar effort, I believe, right? Is, it, is this a Pixar one or just straight Disney? I believe this is just straight Disney, but this is after Disney bought Pixar, so... So it's all kind of mashed together a little yeah, bit. Yeah, like John Lasseter, I believe, is like a co-executive producer or an executive director or something like that. I mean, it's all taking place there. Right, yeah, yeah. It's all it's all in that same little universe. So the director is Rich Moore, um, and this has got uh, the most annoying person in the world who uh, happens to not have a penis, uh, Sarah Silverman, and uh, her counterpart, who is also almost equally annoying, who happens to have a penis, is Ben Shapiro. And they are almost the same person if you were just hearing their voice. Mm, okay, okay. But you're saying that Ben Shapiro's in this movie? No, no, but he might as well have been. Okay. And then uh, John C. Riley, of course, uh, the great Ed O'Neill from Married with Children is in this one. What character as, did he play? Uh, he was the uh, the owner of the arcade. Huh, okay. Very, very, you know, three tiny, or four tiny lines. Tiny role. Tiny yeah, role. Much. And then the great Alan Tudyk is, of course, King Candy, uh, doing his best Mad Hatter impression. And uh, uh, Mindy Kaling is in this and a few others. But uh, based on what I've told you so far, Google description and all that, what is your what's your opening salvo, Robert? Well, it was fun to watch this. I mean, yeah, the Google description is fairly accurate, I would say. Um, it's it's a complex film, actually. It's fun. It The way it merges like the retro and the new at the time and the different play styles and the different arcade games bumping into each other and how those characters would interact with each other and all of that. It's a lot of fun. And if you take it at face value and watch the movie from start to finish, it makes sense all up until like the last 30 seconds of the credits. And we wouldn't have known this unless we, I I bumped into a video online on the, on the tubes that broke it down, but it completely ruins the character for me. The main character becomes an idiot that doesn't make any sense. Which is okay. I mean, it's voiced by John C. Riley. It's a video game character. How smart really is he? But at the beginning of the movie, he tells us that he's a bad guy. He tells the audience that. All the other characters in the game tell us that. And never once does John C. Riley's character, Ralph, ever suggest that he was ever in the right, that he was ever wronged. It's just that he's a bad guy and he wants to be a good guy now. 
because he's tired of being a bad guy. So he wants to go get this medal because for some reason that signifies that he's going to be a good guy now because of this birthday party that he went to. They kind of crashed and they were putting a medal on Felix. And he's like, well, good guys get medals, not bad guys. He's like, well, if I had a medal, then you'd have to see that I'm good too. It's some kind of like fourth grade logic. So in that sense, I guess I'm giving him a pass for being completely idiotic. But, and not to spoil the ending, but it is revealed because this is the theme I want to run through. For the, this is like the main issue. I think that gets, it takes to really understand what's happening in this movie. But it gets revealed that his, he was just chilling one day on his land. And then some people came along and claimed eminent domain. It's revealed in the little song at the very end that his land was stolen through eminent domain. Yeah, and and I'll note it's the third song in the credits. It's the, the last song, like when they're doing the, you know, like this is based on fictional characters kind of portion of the uh, the credits. Yeah, it's like the very, very end, like after all the, like this is where the dog handlers are like giving credit and like California and Georgia are thanked or whatever. Yeah, and what kind of lenses they used. Right, so you have to watch the entire end and then that, if anybody knows about eminent domain, and that's what we're, I think we're going to talk about a fair amount on the show, but if you Google eminent domain, the, what you get is the right of a government or its agent to expropriate private property for public use with payment of compensation. In other words, it's the right of a gang, of a collective, to come along and force you to sell your property to them. Well, it's not even selling. It's just, we're going to do this. We're going to take this. And then, oh, by the way, here's some money. See, we're not terrible people. We're just going to, you know, this is a completely legit, legitimate thing. And there's a bunch of things I want to say about this. And I'm sorry, Daniel, I'm just going to run my mouth for a little bit here. It's what you do best. It's why, it's why you're here. It is why I'm here. So if, if you're going to say that people have individual rights and the right to private property, well, if another gang can just come along and take that property and say, here, here's some money, then what's the point of having that individual right or even claiming that you protect individual rights? I mean, this is the story that we get all the time from statists, that governments are necessary to protect individual rights, protect property rights. But yet, not only does government betray that constantly by forcing you to pay taxes or coming along and stealing your property through asset forfeiture seizure, declaring some set of money illegal or your house illegal or you know, this bike committed a crime or this car was used in a crime and therefore it's illegal. So we're going to, we're going to steal this. And then nobody bats an eye at it. They're like, well, a drug dealer, you know, this is like a drug dealer auction. So it was all the stuff that the state took in, you know, X, Y, and Z crimes. And so therefore they have a right to steal it. Anyway, I don't want to get off on down that horrific tangent, but the excuse always given is for eminent domain or asset forfeiture, mostly eminent domain. It's it's like if you watch the movie Little Pink House, where they were going to take the house, take the land, and then they were going to give it a, like a private company to build a building there, and they never ended up doing that. But anyway, the excuse is always to like, well, we need to build a highway through here or whatever. Right, we the talked about that on our... We talked about that on our cars episode. If people want to go and talk and look at, at that. There was a documentary called Divided Highways. It talked about the interstate highway system and how it was built and how the land was basically taken from people uh, as a result. So it ties right into all this. Right, right. And that's probably the most common use of this is that they just declare, well, we need to widen the road a little bit. So we're just going to take, you know, another 10 feet of your land or another 20 feet of your land. It happens a lot. And other times they'll just say, well, we're, we're building this whole road right through your land and there's nothing you can do about it. And so here's some money, even though it completely screws you over. The problem, of course, besides theft, is that whenever you say you're doing this for the greater good, like this is for the collective benefit of the whole, you are essentially saying that, well, we can do we can steal anything for any reason because any anybody's interpretation of what the collective greater good is is entirely subjective and anything can become an excuse and then why even have individual liberties at all so yarp. anyway yarp the greater good harkening back to our hot fuzz episode see i'm tying it all together here buddy. Oh, nice callbacks daniel so anyway so if if ralph was just chilling one day and along come some people with some paperwork saying, this is now ours. This land is now our land. Now you have to go live in that brick pile or at least, you know, not on your land anymore. And we're going to build up this apartment building. At no point during the movie, does he ever say, yeah, they kicked me off my land. They stole my land and they made, I'm, I'm, the only thing I can do is live over here on this bricks now. 
all we get is I'm Ralph and I'm a bad guy and I smash things and blah blah blah. No, you're not. You're the good guy. You're if you're you're kicked off this land and they come in and they build up an apartment building. What he's doing, and I, you know, maybe it's not the best idea to smash the building that people are living in at the time, but you are evicting people from your land. You have a right to forcibly eject people from your land that you rightfully own. Now, I, I wouldn't say that, you know, he should go and like threaten their lives, but I mean, what other choices does he have? They think he's a bad guy and he, they, he, he's apparently been brainwashed into thinking he's a bad guy. I don't know. I want to get your take on all this, Daniel. Well, there's so many ways to take all of this, but I'll try to break it down into a couple of different areas. Number one is you said that he's not the brightest guy around, and I, I would tend to agree with you. So I, I wonder if he's the type of person who would be easily manipulated and start believing what he's told, like, oh, you're the bad guy. I'm the bad guy. I guess I'm the bad guy. So they're you know, able to manipulate him into becoming the character they want him to be or program him, if you will. Because remember, this is a video game, right? So this is like the whole NBC, NPC thing. He is programmed to be the bad guy. The fact that there's this eminent domain situation and this backstory is not really material to the game itself, but it is in the story of the movie. And so I, f I find it a bit of... Um, going a bit beyond like if if he's just programmed to be the donkey kong of the game and fix it felix is the mario of the game and that's like end of story then you don't need this eminent domain situation you don't need him being manipulated into thinking he's the bad guy but because they have you know it's like a disney movie they've got lives outside of you know when someone's not dropping eight quarters into the game inflation by the way what games t take eight quarters man that seems insane but yeah, the ones today, I mean, arcades aren't a thing anymore. They've been outcompeted by home consoles and now mobile gaming. But yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the prices have, have become astronomical, apparently. And, and not only that, but like the inconvenience of eight quarters going in, you know, like it's, it's not like you can put the Sacagawea dollars in. I don't think. I mean, I don't even know. But uh, back to what I was talking about. So if you if you take it outside of just, you know, he's programmed to be the bad guy. Felix is programmed to be the good guy within the confines of the game. You don't even need the eminent domain story, which, by the way, they actually do telegraph that in the very opening where he's got his stump and then they bulldozer and move him onto the brick pile. You don't get the lyrics until the third song of the credits that explains why and what and actually uses the terms eminent domain. But you see it in the very opening of the movie. Now, if you if you add that into it and then you know, he's kind of a dim-witted guy, then I can see him sort of believing what he's told. Like, oh, you are the bad guy, therefore you're the bad guy, and you're the bad guy. And he goes, I'm the bad guy, therefore, you know, all that. I, I think, I, I feel like I'm repeating myself here, and I'm sure that I am. Yeah, yeah, probably. But I mean, like you said, he's programmed to be the bad guy. Their, their job, if you will, is to act out this game so that they don't get turned off. So that yeah. they maintain, they're like, they're celebrating their 30th anniversary. They're, they're, now, they're there to entertain people. That's their right. job. They're actors on a stage. So, I mean, how far we want to go down the reality of the whole situation is kind of funny. But, you know, it's this is what we do here. Now, yeah. there are some other interesting points later in the movie. Do we want to, are there points you want to hit before I get to it? Because the next one I really want to talk about is the glitch Ralph contract, but I'm sure there might be something you want to talk about before that. Well, I do have, you know, the, the whole idea of there are actors on the stage, but even after that, you've got Ralph still feeling like, hey, it's been 30 years. I've never got the medal. So he wants that validation. He wants to be the good guy and he wants to be socially accepted. Like he's been suffering ostracism for 30 years. And it's very, very powerful, very obvious in this movie that he's not a part of this group. They're very reluctant to even let him in during this 30th anniversary party, of which he is the main, you know, factor of the game. He's not even invited to it. So that just goes to show you that social pressures are are, are super powerful and a very effective market-based tool for writing behavior. And we've talked about this in the past. Um, and then also the uh, his comment about Fix-It Felix coming up and, and using a magic hammer. And he, he does this like offhand comment, like, how hard could it be? He's got a magic hammer. <laughs> You know, it's like no effort on his part to like do any of this stuff. So it's really all for show, right? It's all entertainment, actors on a stage, programming. But I feel like Ralph has sort of identified as his actor portrayal. Yeah, I think in order for us to, as an audience, to really be on board with what the movie's all about, we have to identify him as the protagonist with his own agency and not just as an actor playing a part. I mean, you have to be on board with his emotional hurt to be on board with his quest 
for redemption and to get the medal. Now, I had issue with some of his actions he took. So I'm wondering how you felt about him. As the protagonist, you know, I support his quest for validation, even if it is this arbitrary, superficial thing of getting this medal, which even if you showed up with this medal, you're like, hey, I got a medal. And they're like, great. How did you do it? Who gave you that medal? Oh, no, I, I snuck into this machine and took it. Okay. Does that mean prove you're a good guy? Yeah. I don't really think it does. You you stole, okay, and this is the story he has to tell, right? He goes, well, okay, I was at a bar and then this drunk soldier guy stumbled by me and he knocked himself out. So I stole his armor and then I impersonated him in his game. And then I snuck into this tower where the normally the player gets to at the very end of the game and just stole the medal. Aren't I the greatest? <laughs> Well, this goes back to him being, you know, kind of this simpleton, right? Where the the medal is a symbol to him, and all he needs to do is attain that symbol to get the get the reward, the accolades that go along with it. And I would liken this a little bit to Paul Krugman getting a Nobel Prize, because as soon as he has that, then everyone listens to him, even though he's been wrong like nine, nine out of ten times on everything that he says. Yeah, that's a good that's a good uh, that's a good uh, likeness. All right, um, so I have a question for you before we move okay, on be, because ahead. it's it's related to his uh, his opening narrative here. He says, it's hard to love your job when nobody seems to like you for doing it. So my question to you is, do you recall a video that Steph Molyneux made about two years ago that said cops need to be supported by the public in order to do what they do? Sub question, Mises and I think even Rothbard made the point that governments can only remain in power so long as they can remain maintain the illusion or having the people supporting them being in power to run I with believe that. that. I believe that Molyneux video was his breakup video with libertarianism. Is that correct? Sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah. So he really went off the rails there. And yeah, he was he was talking about there was a big crime spree, I believe, in St. Louis at the time. There were like some I don't know if this is the Michael Brown time or whatever, but there were a lot of like riots. And he was yeah, he made some bizarre claim about how you need to publicly and he's talking to libertarians. He was saying that libertarians had blood on their hands if they didn't publicly support the cops and that their public support was the only way that cops could actually do their jobs and prevent crime. And this is the same man who has likened cops to crime detectives, crime historians. I mean, what prevents 99.99% of all crime is social pressures. Like it's ostracism? Ostracism. It's the idea that I would consider myself a bad person. It's the idea that your mom would consider you a bad person, that your friends would frown on what you do. The idea that, well, now you got to hide your loot or whatever. I mean, all kinds of things that you can't just be out and open about. Unlike a politician who can just rob you and like smile and wave at the cameras at the same time. The crook is a little more honest about it. And he knows he feels shame about it. And they don't just necessarily brag on Instagram about all the stuff they stole. Some do, but most don't. So anyway, where was all I right. going with that? <laughs> well, and, and then the second part was, uh, do you think that governments really do need to have sort of the support or at least the compliance or placation of the, the populace to get away with what they do and maintain power? Right. Sort of like the... Um, to the people? Yes, or like the apathy of the people, even. But that's this, the, the claim is that they operate with the will of the governed or whatever, the, the consent of the governed. Well, that, that's the fantasy. I mean, right. we're now getting into fantasy. We're, we've been talking about a video game that comes to life <laughs> at night, but now we're getting into fantasy territory. Right, where, where the people actually support their own enslavement. Well, they do. I, I, would, I, yeah, I would completely agree. Um, you know, the, the only way to you know, essentially move on from the statist system is for people to just walk away and stop supporting it. The idea that you're going to have some sort of violent revolution, well, that's just another person that wanting their turn at the controls. There's never been a revolutionary who is like, takes over and then is like, just walks away and is like, and done. See, and we just stop. It's always takes over. And then now I'm going to show you how to really rule people. I was just watching some documentaries on Stalin and it's, it's, he, he made an interesting claim. The, the guy that was speaking, actually it was an interview with a guy who, who I swear sounds and looks just like Joe Pesci, but he's like not Joe Pesci. He's like a, he's a historian. So his name is not, no, not Joe Pesci. His name is not Joe Pesci. And I recommend you check him out. Um, <laughs> I couldn't tell you a name to actually Google or anything. It doesn't matter. I mean, it may matter. He, he seems like a pretty smart guy. 
Well, where, where do you find this documentary? Is it YouTube, Netflix? It was on the tubes and it wasn't a documentary. It was an interview. It's an interview series. I think he's, he wrote a series of books. It's like Stalin rise to power, Stalin waiting for Hitler. And there's a series of interviews with the guy. All right. If you remember it, send it to me and I'll put it on the show notes page at lastnighter.com slash 47. Okay. It's Steven something. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway. Anyway. So they were talking just about Stalin and, you know, usually the claim is, well, Stalin just had this lust for power and that's why he was such a tyrant and took over control and blah, blah, blah. What this guy is saying is, is that he's gone through and read all their Politburo and all their inside notes and like all the stuff they're talking about during closed meetings, all the minutes of their private group meetings. And these people were just true believer communists. Like if they're talking about the proletariat and the bourgeoisie out in open, they're talking about the proletariat and the bourgeoisie when they're hanging out, drinking a beer. They're true believer communists. And the fact is, is that Stalin wasn't just a sociopathic tyrant. He was a true believer in communism. He was really trying to make the system work as best he could. And that he saw when people didn't toe the line that they had to go because he wanted, he believed that that was the way to the best possible world. So really it's an indictment, I believe, of communism. It's not just saying that, well, it's just Stalin was a bad guy. He was really trying to institute true communism. This is interesting because it sounds like he's making the greater good argument. He was. yeah, absolutely. And that dissenters and, and people not towing the line were impediments to the greater good. And therefore, he was proclaiming eminent domain over their life. Exactly. Exactly what he was doing. For the greater good, these people need to be removed or eliminated for the great society to be obtained. He's a true believer. He wasn't just a psychopathic, sociopathic tyrant guy. He was he was doing what he did because he believed it. He believed himself to be the good guy. And there were plenty of people following orders. And there were plenty of people that also were believers in the party, true believers, and willing to follow out orders once he you know, pointed the finger at the people that had to go. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. That, that all ties together. And, and I have another note about um, Ralph wanting to win the medal, and it sort of ties into this. He wants that medal to prove that he's good and to get out of the live the terrible living situation that he finds himself in. And uh, when I saw that, I was thinking, that's why a lot of people might join the military. You know, if they're living in rough areas with very little prospects, you know, like regulations and high minimum wages and, and union legislation and things like that are preventing them from getting a job and improving their lives on their own. They're going to go, they're going to run into some recruiter somewhere who's promising them all this, all this stuff. So they would join up here. We'll give you a bonus and a GI Bill, pay you for college. We'll train you. We'll do all the stuff, fly you around the world, you know? And that seems like um, you're, you're proving your worth to society into this area that gets all this respect, right? We just had Veterans Day, which used to be Armistice Day, which actually was meaningful. It was a day of peace, uh, the, the war to, or the day of the uh, war to end all wars ending, you know? It's supposed to be like a, a monumental like thing about not killing each other, but now it's been subverted. Anyway, I digress. Um, but I, I, I see his quest to get a medal like that in a very militarized game, right? Whatever whatever the game is called with um, Jane Bug Hunt, Lynch. I think. Or no, it's Heroes Medal. Heroes Medal, yeah, yeah. That That's him joining the military to get that respect, to win that medal, to make something of himself, to improve his situation. And it's a false promise, right? Like we see that in the movie. Like he, he's just going to go there to, to steal the medal, basically. And then when he gets into Candyland, it gets stolen from him. So property rights are kind of a big deal in this movie. Yeah, what did you think about that? I mean, she, the Sarah Silverman steals it so that she can enter this race. But, you know, Ralph is like, hey, that's mine. And... At first, it seems like, well, she's just stealing it for no reason. But then we find out that she wants to. But who cares what your intended use is? Like, even if I'm going to rob you and I stick a gun in your face and you give me your $20 and then I walk away and it's like, oh, don't worry about it. I'm donating this to charity. Is that going to make you feel better? Well, that that's taxes. But but I think this situation is more akin to I've got a great tip on a race and I'm going to go. I'm going to steal your money. I'm going to bet on the horses. And, and when I win, I'm going to pay you back your money. Yeah. And even if you win, even if you win and even if you pay me back, you're still you're still a stealer. You're still a thief. Right. You still stole even if you do repay it because you did it against my my permission. You you did not have my consent to do this. My body, my money, my, you know, my choice. Right. Right. But Sarah Silverman did not see it that way. She was like, hey, I was going to give it back to you once I won the race. I don't see what the big deal is. Jeez. What are you upset about? Yeah. So, you know, that's <laughs> not a good lesson for the kids. Not a good lesson for the kids, Daniel. 
I know my kids did watch this and and they did enjoy it. And by the way, we're doing this because the the new movie uh, Ralph Breaks the Internet is out in theaters now. I don't know if we mentioned that earlier, but this is timely, timely. Okay, so then there's another interesting point where he's chasing after her. She has grabbed his medal and he's chasing after her and he's getting covered in candy as he's running after her. But he catches up to her at the race. And while he's chasing after, he starts smashing up the grandstands. He's turning them over and people are getting thrown away and all that sort of thing. And then King Candy comes on the, the, the microphone and is like, don't worry, folks, we'll fix all this up. Don't worry about it. But it sure seems like it's Sarah Silverman who's the fault for this damage. I mean, who would you put this damage at the feet of? Who is responsible for paying back and fixing this damage? Wow. Um, so I'm trying to remember exactly what you're talking about, because if, if Ralph is chasing her, but then using wanton dis disregard for other people's property and lives, then that's kind of on him. Like he's going above and beyond what is uh, proportional to the uh, aggression against him. Like if he's going to go around murdering people and destroying random people's property to try to get his medal back from someone who stole from him, that's a bit too far. Okay, too far for Daniel. All right. But what- I mean, sure, she initiated this this situation. And I yes. think- uh, you know, I think in, in legal terms, like if, if someone's like robbing a 7-Eleven uh, and then someone gets shot, even in, in um, someone's acting in self-defense and accidentally shoots a bystander, it's still the perpetrator's fault, even if the defender accidentally shot someone because they set the they they committed the initial crime that right. set the events in motion. Right. So that also is protection for the cops to chase after somebody in like a high speed chase. And so then they're chasing after somebody in a high-speed chase, but then, then the cops like crash into other people, other innocent people. Those That damage is placed at the foot of the person they're chasing. And, and I think that also would be going a bit too far. Like you're putting other people at risk. Like there's a certain like balance, I, I would imagine, of what is the risk of if this person gets away versus what is the potential harm that you're putting all these people at risk. Right. You know, like as, as far as your... Um, standard op operating procedure or your programming, right? Because in uh, Hero's Duty, when when uh, Ralph's going kind of AWOL or turbo, they call it, uh, they say, stick to the program, stick to the program. So then back to my original question, you would put some of the blame on Ralph's and then some of the blame on Glitch? Is it yes. a 50-50? I mean, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just gauging your opinion here. I'm not asking you to be the judge, Jerry. Well, I think that he could have um, caught up to her without destroying and, and potentially murdering people. So, yeah, I think that was a bad choice on his part. Okay. So how much is her fault and how much is his fault? Is it all his fault? Is he supposed to just stand back and say, okay, you can go ahead and hide underneath these grandstands forever? I just can't seem to get at you. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know, man. It's a video game slash movie, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And you don't want to judge it? That's fine. When did video games become so violent and scary? Come on. Forever ago. Some of the very first video games. All right, asteroids? Well, I don't know. You're just like shooting asteroids, blowing things up all the time. Well, flattery don't charge these batteries, civilian. All right. I, okay, wanna, so I wanted to ask you, um, the random security check in the surge protector, the TSA style check, and yeah, like, did you bring right. any fruit back? Mm -hmm. They're profiling him, right? Like that's sort of the joke. Yes, but he's terrible at his job because he obviously doesn't see the cherries that he's holding behind his back. Right, and lets him go, and and then he uh, gives it to the the poor um, begging Cubert characters. <laughs> yes, which I thought that would be sentimental for you because I remember your old man playing Cubert all the time. Oh, this whole movie is full of sentimental stuff. Um, I don't remember all the references now, but yeah, there were all kinds of fun little references and nods to old video games. So much of the way, like in the, the bad guy support group. I loved that. That was awesome. That Zangief was and Satine. You had, yeah, you had uh, them and then you had, um, what's his name from Mortal Kombat with a metal arm and face and stuff. He was like ripping people's heads off or heads off. Hearts Is that out. Kano? Oh, Kano? Uh, Kano. Okay. And a zombie. Yeah, you had all kinds of fun stuff. So... It's a big nostalgia trip. I wonder if the kids that are watching it today have any idea who these characters are. Probably not, but maybe some. So let's talk about the contract. It's one of the main things I wanted to talk about. If you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about, Daniel? No, no. Enlighten me. Okay. So Glitch asks for Ralph's help and Ralph agrees, but he doesn't know what he's agreeing to. But she says, I need you to smash something. Help me out and then I'll help you out, basically, is, is what the, the contract that they forge. And it turns out that she wants him to help her break into a bakery. And as soon as he realizes what 
he's being asked to do, he box. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You just want me to break into somebody's private property? And she's like, you can't back out now. We shook on it. And my point is, hell yes, you can back out now. That contract was immediately invalid as soon as it was formed because it involved the property of a third party whose consent you did not obtain. So in order for a contract to be valid, all parties with property involved need to agree to it. Except for the social contract, Robert. I just want to bring up a big exception to your <laughs> argument here. Daniel's joking. Daniel is joking. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So you're right. Yeah. If yeah. you don't like it, leave. It's, it's on me to leave. So anyway, um, she acts as if the contract were valid. And, and, and Ralph, being the simpleton, was like, oh, okay, I guess we shook on it. So I guess I have to do this now. Now I have to you know, commit this crime and destroy this property, which is not the case. Yeah, he was dumb to agree to it before he understood the, all the terms of the contract. But once he learns that it involves the destruction of a third party's property, he can back out. But she knows that he's willing to do that already because he did that with the grandstands. True. Yeah. He's hiring a mercenary here. Yeah. Maybe he doesn't care. Maybe it's just all about smashing other people's stuff. He's going to wreck it. That's what he's good at. Well, it is established that he wrecks other people's stuff, but you know, when that people's stuff is on your property, I think you have a right to wreck it. I like them apples. Uh, maybe to an extent. It sort of reminds me of rent control buildings where they don't let you increase the rent. So the landowner stops making improvements and then they are considered slumlords. But why would they make improvements on property if they actually do want to incentivize people to leave because they're underpaying? Like the landlord's not making any money as a result of renting up these government enforced prices. You follow me? It's 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 one of my big gripes with the otherwise brilliant show Daredevil on Netflix because they make the land or the property owner, the slumlords, the most evil person in the world because in the court cases with uh, Murdoch, he's like going after uh, with all these little old ladies who are getting kicked out of their homes where the water doesn't work and the heat doesn't work and all that stuff. Yeah, that's, that's a terrible situation, but that's because of government intervention, screwing up what people can do with their own property. Yeah, you're absolutely right. They, they, they force the prices so low that, yeah, it, it, the, the rent owners can't make any money and can't afford to maintain those buildings. And they get vilified in the press and on TV shows as being these horrific people when, yeah, you're right. It's, it's government inv intrusion into the market. Right. And then the whole reason that the prices are going up is with a supply and demand situation. So you've probably got government elsewhere fucking everything up by preventing new housing from coming on the market with zoning laws and other restrictions. Yeah. People like rent control when it's benefiting them. They're like they're in this nice new building or whatever, and it's like been maintained for as long as it has. But then rent control comes in and it's good for a while and it's good for a little more while and a little more while. And then, yeah, then you <laughs> but a little less so. And then 20 years later, you look around, and you're like, this place is a shithole. Why isn't anybody fixing this place up? Oh, it's because I'm paying 25 cents in rent. Oh, okay. All hail our rightful ruler, King Candy. Yeah, King Candy. Now he's buying everyone's affection by giving away candy. And he's got this race that he runs nightly to get people on the roster for the next day's entertainment. So it's a pay to play situation. That's why Silverman is stealing the medal from Ralph to be able to enter this tournament because it's revealed later. And we spoil movies. We wreck movies all the time. We're going to wreck it. She was the cabinet. She was the feature on the cabinet of the, of the game. She was supplanted by King Candy, who was actually Turbo from another Spoiler. game. Spoiler. Spoilers all around. Who got uh, jealous of the competitors coming in who are faster, better, sleeker, pulling away his thunder. So he went over to the other game and screwed it up. So then his game and the new game got sent out uh, as out of order games, but he escaped and supplanted her in candy or sugar rush, right? Sugar rush, what it's called, and went in and reprogrammed people, uh, erased their memories, like men in black style. I mean, this is essentially, he took over and then took over their education program, indoctrinated everyone, implanted false memories, all this other bullshit to get people to believe that he was the rightful, like, lead character in this game. Yeah. And then at one point he goes, the hardest part of being a king is doing what's right, no matter what. And that's always a funny line because that would be impossible for a king to do. <laughs> Regardless of, of what you think a king is, a king is actually somebody who rules by force. And it's actually impossible for them to do the right thing other than, you know, abdicate and declare it all a sham anyway. Yeah. Now, what did you think of his argument? And we're sort of skipping around a little bit, but Silverman's a glitch. And his point is that if she wins a race, 
then it will break the game, right? And then they'll shut the game down and she can't leave, so she'll die. Right, and that was ultimately BS because he was just acting out of self-preservation. Right, but it is a compelling argument and Ralph bought it. He bought it because he's a moron, as we've said throughout this entire movie. Now, I agree that that's a somewhat compelling argument. Like when it was originally stated, I was like, okay, that makes some sense. Like if you're going to play a game and it's all glitching out and they and they showed it earlier, they showed some kind of glitchy stuff going on with Ralph's game, Fix It Felix. And they're like, oh, this game needs to be serviced or whatever. We're going to put this sign saying it's out of order. That's somewhat to the truth, but I think it's more likely if it's if the glitch is can be exploited. I mean, games, there are people who play video games that you can only glitch. There are speedrunners who can play a game of Super Mario Brothers in like, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes. Maybe it's more than that. It's less than that. Maybe it's more like five minutes or something like that because they, they institute glitches. The, there are they hackers and speedrunners. And yeah, they do wall hacks and, you know, weird jumps and they get outside of the game and exploit, you know, glitches, and they love that. There's a whole group of gamers who just live to exploit glitches and determine what the limits of the software are and to break them and, you know, get some new record on how quickly they can beat that game. So I thought it was a compelling argument to a certain extent, depending on the level of the glitch. If the glitching, like, ruined the game to the point which the game was unplayable, okay. But if it's just a competitive advantage where you can glitch through walls, then are you kidding me? Everyone's going to pick that character every time. Right, because at the end, like she maintains her glitch ability and she uses it to her advantage in the races. Right. And then the character and then the human players doing that do the exact same thing at the very end also. Right. Now, um, before she gets Ralph to break into the bakery to make the new car, she had already built a car previously and she was able to enter the race or was attempting to enter the race and all of the other bratty little candy characters were being mean to her making fun of her disability right her glitching uh ostracizing her being little bitches to her i know language right language um and they assault her and destroy her property and this just reminded me of like high school high school girls you know yeah, it was. It was a brutal batch of bullying, and it kind of reminded me of, I don't know if the movie was trying to be a little SJWE and like showing that these people are bullying her just because she's different and she didn't choose to be a born a glitch and she's, you know, a perfectly good person and how dare they. I I was with you in that that's her. That's her property. They have no right to destroy that. You can say what you want, but don't attack me. But yeah, it's absolutely bullying and an assault on her private property for sure. It's aggression. And it is, you know, true justice if they are held to account for that. All right, another one I want to talk about a little bit is the uh, donut cops. They're basically chasing Ralph around saying, we're not going to hurt you, you little freak. Or they say that to uh, Silverman. And they're liars, you know, because they beat Ralph before there's any interaction, right? They don't even talk to Ralph. They just start beating him up. It's like when people show up to, um, you know, police show up at a house and just shoot the dog first thing, even if yep. it's the wrong house. Right. And then uh, they tase him. They tase uh, Ralph. It reminded me of the uh, Don't Tase Me Bro from uh, the John Kerry speech like 15 years ago. Right. No, I did appreciate that. I mean, if you're going to, uh, you know, I if you're on the left, you tend to look at the cops as out of control crazy people, maybe racists. And if you're on the right, maybe you tend to defend them a little bit too much. And I can, you know, see both arguments. Um, I tend to fall on the side of cops are out of control and, you know, they're, they're immorally enforcing immoral laws is where even if like Stalin, they believe they're doing the right thing. Right. Like when we talk to um, Mance and he says, like, I have, I have no sympathy for order takers, order takers that, you know, follow immoral orders. I mean, they're just, I can't, I can't sympathize with you. And you can't just say, Hey, I'm just following orders. Nuremberg defense doesn't work on me. Even with all uh, the indoctrination and propaganda, even with all the indoctrination, you are still an adult. You still have self-ownership. You have the hopefully mental capacity of an adult. Ralph does not. And Ralph does not, but you should, as an order taker, should recognize that you are performing immoral actions and uh, course correct that ass immediately. Right. But I I would imagine that most people do not. I mean, most people are blue pilled, right? Like most people don't see the state for the violence that it is. uh, And and they got paychecks that require them not to see that. Right, exactly. And education systems that are put in place to reinforce the, the goodness of the state 
They've got media, entertainment, news, all of these things that reinforce the goodness of the state. History books are all about the goodness of the state for the most part. You know, I, I find it difficult to break out of that and see it for what it is. I think it's a rare person that can do that. I agree. I and agree. It's unfortunate. And so that gives me a little bit of sympathy towards, you know, they, they know not what they do is evil. They do it anyway, thinking that it's good. And I think it's Larkin who says like some of the most horrific atrocities are people who, who have good intentions and think they're, they're doing the good thing, the right yeah. thing. Right. Like Stalin thought he was doing the right thing. And sure, he had to mail 10 million, killed million, tens of millions, but you know, he's doing the right thing. Right. And, and I think you've made this argument in the past where he's really just giving advice to people. I mean, they're orders, but people can disobey orders. But it's the people who are the order followers doing these things that are actually committing the acts themselves. Right. If, if Hitler wasn't the chancellor of Germany, if people didn't like revere the position, the office, the badge, you know, he's just some guy shouting at people. And then what? And then you don't have any of these problems. You're just like, you're a crazy person. Why do I have to follow you? Why should I do what you say? I own myself. Fuck off. Yeah, but I, I do think it, it it takes it takes some effort to get to that point to be able to like see it from the perspective of right and wrong and what really is right and wrong. Like, what are what are well, the? We caught it when we're two years old, right? But but then ever since then, then right? we're propagated. Yeah, it gets obscured. Yeah, propagandized. Yeah. So you know, it's a selfish man who's a mangy dog chasing a cautionary tale. Robert, what the hell? What was that? <laughs> that that's a line from uh, the Jane Lynch character. I thought it was uh, pretty clever because she's mixing like two or three metaphors together. Nice. I did enjoy the Jane Lynch character. She was pretty good. Yeah, she's and the Jack Brayer character, McBrayer. He's he's pretty good too. Yeah. Now I, I had a question about him and her actually. Ooh. Um. So when they're stuck in the Laffy Taffy and the taffy vines are coming down in they're, response, they're in the quicksand. You mean? Yeah. The quick the quicksand and the Laffy Taffy's quicksand. coming down to. Uh, you know, when they think something's funny, they get closer and closer. Yeah. And it's physical violence that apparently they find funny. Even though they have no eyeballs. Yes. Well, just disregard that. This is, <laughs> it's part of the movie. But I found it um, as a father watching with a three and a five-year-old, I was like, this is not good. I don't want it to be celebrated that punching someone in the face is hilarious. funny and like the thing to do. And uh, so that that really bothered me a little bit. And then um, when they get out of that, uh, Jack McBrayer like falls in love with her. Right. Or she falls in love with him because he's like looking all, you know, what's the word? Um, noble or whatever, like heroic for, for saving her. Yeah. With his quick yeah, wit. He's, he's, she's he's, he's carrying her and they're flying through the air. Right. But then she randomly fires her gun in the air to like snap him out of it or snap her out of it or something. And that made me think that that is, um, you know, you, you had made reference to the cops were viewed through sort of a leftist lens in this movie where they're sort of like yeah. out of control and, and beat people, tase people, whatever, before any questions or any other interaction. I felt like they were doing that with, with Jane Lynch as any gun owner. Like, oh, gun owners are off the handle. They'll just shoot their gun wildly in the air and, and you know, have no no regard for anyone else. I did. That didn't occur to me, but I could see why you would think that for sure. Yeah. I mean, she ends up saving the day with her gun, not necessarily saving the whole day, but she saves some lives with that gun. All right. Yeah. When they're trying to fend off the, uh, what the are they called again? Thing, majigs, I don't know. The bugs. The bugs. We're going to do bugs uh, again when we do Starship Troopers. That's going to be a good one. We're doing our part. We are. We're doing our part. Yeah. So that'll, that'll be coming at you in a couple of weeks here. Um, there was one other thing I wanted to bring up that's related to this. Uh, Without a princess, who's going to lead us? Oh, yeah. That, that's the key question at the end there. Oh, um, so when, when Ralph won the uh, the Hero's Duty Medal, they gave him this long speech about history, a long revere, your courage and sacrifice, blah, blah, blah. You know, it was like a bunch of bullshit. And Jane Lynch buys into all of that, right? It's all the patriotism, rah, 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 total indoctrination stuff. Yeah, well, she's a gunnery sergeant or whatever she is. Yeah, true enough. Um, what else do we have here? Uh, I got police or King Candy's muscle, so his enforcers. So similar to what you said, King, King Candy can't do much of it on his own, but only through having his enforcement arm, these order followers, that he can he can actually initiate or perpetrate physical violence against others. Right. Now, I don't know how much his reprogramming went into their own will or their own self, you know, ownership or what have you. I, I, I can't say. Or is he or are they just believing that they need to be ruled and therefore we're going to follow these orders as lickspittles? I don't know. No, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B-A-B-A, -B -A, select, start. Just B-A-B-A, -B -A, start, not select. But yes, the Konami code was in there. I appreciated that. That was fun. Yeah, that was pretty badass. You get 33 uh, lives or something like that. What did you think of um, Ralph torturing that little sour green ball guy? 
All right, refresh me on that. I don't quite recall it. So he finds, this is towards the end, and Ralph finds this little, the green ball guy. He's like the, what, the butler or whatever? The the heralder or whatever, like the announcer? Yeah, and he like starts asking them questions, and the green ball guy is like, I'm not going to tell you. And so he sticks him in his mouth, like he's threatening to eat him. He's like, how many licks would it take to get to the center of you? Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, that's a tough one because, I mean, he is a gobstopper or a now and later or whatever you call him, whatchamacallit. Gobstopper? Never any gobstopper, maybe? Maybe. I don't know. Some kind of sour ball, candy ball, something. I mean, that's like his purpose is to be eaten. (laughs) He wasn't happy about it, so I don't think it was. But he was also, um, you know, he he trapped uh, Fix-It Felix. Yes, he did. So he was an enforcer for the king. So, I mean, he's he's the bad guy. He's one of the bad guys doing the bad stuff. Right. So are you giving giving Ralph a pass on that? It's like whatever you got to do to get the information out of him? Well, I mean, I don't think torture is an effective uh, extraction method, but, uh, you know, in the in the case of this movie, sure, I'll give him a pass. I mean, he's he's done a bunch of bad stuff, for sure. Yeah, yeah. There, he's not a perfect protagonist in this movie for, at all. But he really just wants to not be alone, right? I mean, he just wants community and, and friendship, and he's doing whatever he can to get it. Right, but he never learns, like, all the things he's doing. He's just given a pass for doing. At no point is he ever told what he's doing is wrong. And at no point does he ever go, oh, yeah, the way I was doing, you know, how I chose to go about doing this, you know, was wrong. He's like, the way to win this and the way I'm going to be get accolades is for, to wreck things. And that's how he ultimately saves everybody is by wrecking the Mentos volcano. So I'm going to disagree because I think he does come to a realization after he destroys Vanellope's car and then goes back to Niceland and everyone has moved out because Miss uh, Felix has gone uh, looking for Ralph because Ralph went turbo. I think he does come to the realization that he did do the wrong thing, that a lot of people's lives were uh, irreparably you know, changed as a result of his actions and, and people like following up trying to find him. Well, I would agree that he learned that lesson, that he left his arcade game to abandon his other people in his arcade game. And that that might have been not great. Yeah. And what was the turn that got him to like um, Vanellope then? I guess he threw his medal at the screen and then he had the little one that she had made for him that said, my hero. And when my daughter, my five-year-old, saw him throw the first one and then pull out the second one, she's like, oh, no, don't throw that one. Your friend made that one. Aww. That made me tear up a little bit. That tear that jerks some tears for me, but that's because it's my kid. Well, so you mean why he started liking her in the first place is when he saw that she was getting bullied. Well, uh, yeah, but he went to Nice Nice Town or Niceville and then decided to go back to help Vanellope. So what was the thing that made him decide to go back? Oh yeah, well he no he saw her face was on the side of the oh that's right yeah. cabinet. So he saw that she had been wronged. Right. She had been displaced. She wasn't just a glitch. She was supposed to be in that game. She had been removed from her property by King Candy. Mm, much like he had been. Eminent domain. Yeah. Maybe he recognized a, a fellow traveler there. So he had to help her out. All right. So yeah, she was the rightful owner. And if she wins, she actually would fix the glitch. She would fix the glitch, but then she would go on to be the princess and rule over everybody. But then kind of right, not. Right. She kind and, of abdicates almost immediately. Well, it's weird because as soon as she's the ruler, she makes this joke about threatening to execute everyone. Yes. Which... Okay, it's a joke, but they think you're serious about threatening to murder them. So how much of a joke is that? A hilarious joke, apparently. I don't know. (laughs) And then, of course, they do say, uh, as you mentioned earlier, without a princess, who will lead us? And she says something to to the effect of, I'm thinking something like a constitutional democracy. And my thought was, what the fuck is that? Right. You know, is this like an attempt to influence viewers into thinking that that is the form of government that is in the United States? Because everyone says our democracy, our democracy, right? And and everyone knows there's a constitution, but they don't seem to understand like the mechanisms <laughs> by which they, you know, they're purported to like offset each other and prevent tyranny and all these things. And, you know, how effective that's been is certainly up for debate. Uh, I would say it hasn't been very effective, but going to this direct democracy model, which seems to be what the left talks about ceaselessly, uh, seems to be what's being supported here. It is for sure. And not only that, but they also, and this gets done all the time, is they conflate ruler with leader and leader with ruler. So when they ask, well, who's going to lead us? They make it seem like, well, who's just going to show us the way? Who's going to be the great big shining beacon and like suggest things to us as to what we should do and not instead 
we're going to make the rules and the laws. And if you don't obey, we're going to kill you. There's a right. big difference. There's a huge difference between being a leader, like somebody who leads us in this calisthenics program versus a ruler who rules and dominates you and punishes you if you don't do what they say. And this is a cart before the horse situation because a lot of people think the government is necessary for society to exist. But no, society, voluntary interactions among people precedes government. You know, So when they ask, who will lead us? I changed the question in my mind to, how will we reproduce without rape? And her right. suggestion is, oh, we'll just try a different position. Yeah. We'll just have a different form. It's, it's going to be totally different. Totes, guys. And I right. know it's a kid's movie and whatever, but yeah, that kind of throwaway line did really bug me. Right. And, and of course, the right answer is that the individuals ought rule themselves. Right. And that's, that would have been a much better answer. What do you need a ruler? We're just racers on a racetrack. What am I going to, what do you need to be told to do? No. All right. So the last note I have is that Ralph finally realizes at the end that he doesn't need a medal to tell him that he's a good guy and he's wrecked, you know, so his whole quest to get this medal to prove to, to have some sort of symbol that represents being a good guy is a, is a false quest, you know, an unnecessary quest. And I can't hear you. Can't hear you. All right. A little bit of technical difficulties, everyone. <laughs> we'll be back in just a moment when Robert figures this out. This is the live stream. And uh, I think he can hear me, right? Yeah, thumbs up. You can hear me, but I cannot hear you. Maybe try oh. the... Uh, there. You, yep, I can hear you now. You can. Yes. I did not do anything. I muted and unmuted the microphone, which shouldn't have done anything, but okay. It's a glitch. It's a glitch. It's been glitched. All right, so he doesn't need a medal to tell him he's the good guy. That's my that's my final note on this one. And uh, take it away. We go into some final summaries and reviews in a moment. Okay, yeah. So he doesn't need a medal which seemed to be a fairly obvious character arc for him since his original quest was fairly ridiculous and childish. Hey, I need this medal to prove that I'm a good guy. Clearly, it seems like, oh, I guess I don't need that. So at least he did learn something, but when it's so obviously dumb, it's kind of eye-rolling a little bit. But it's still a decent movie. I thought the acting was pretty good. The voices were all pretty good. The animation was fine. The storyline wasn't terrible. Um, you know, anytime you have two characters who shouldn't be friends and become friends is even as, as obvious as the writing seemed to be for me. Um, it was still, it still hit all the right notes, even if it was a little bit paint by numbers. So I really enjoyed the nostalgia. Um, all the references were fun and cute. They, it was kind of clever the way they kind of blended it all. And it was a unique story, even if it was a fairly paint by the number story. I mean, you know, the setting was unique in that sense, but overall, not my favorite Disney movie, not my favorite Pixar. Um, I'm glad we did it. It was good enough for this show. It had some interesting things to talk about. I'm glad we could bring it, bring some good, solid economics to the discussion. So um, I'm going to give this movie a 6.8. Not the best, but not the worst. Uh, just about average, just maybe a little bit above average. So I'm hearing that the uh, Wreck-It Ralph 2 reviews are really strong, but those are also early critic reviews and those are they always pick out the best possible you know things to say about a movie so who knows all right 6.8 i i think i'm gonna go a little bit higher um and it might be because i mean i, I watched this movie maybe six months ago and then again just the other day in preparation for this show and watched it with the kids and they really resonated with it and that was fun to see now they probably didn't have you know the same um like the the bank of history for that nostalgic factor to to hit but they were on like the friendship angle and the ostracism stuff and then the social interaction and the, the wanting to belong uh as part of the ralph story and that really hit with them so uh and i think that plays pretty well it shows how ostracism is a very powerful social functions are very very strong um i think that the animation was beautiful the voice acting's great i i really enjoy john c Riley. The, uh, the movie just overall is is quite good. And I'm going to go with an 8.1 on this thing. Um, I actually am interested in seeing Wreck-It Ralph 2, though I'm going to wait till after it's uh, out of theaters because we're cheap over in this household. But because this um, because we watched this movie, I actually got so much nostalgia. And because it's Black Friday coming up here or, or just past as we are releasing the show, but recording it before Black Friday, I just confused myself. There was a deal on a PlayStation 4. So I picked one of those bad boys up for the kids. And by that, I mean for me. So 
but there's a Paw Patrol game that they're going to play. And there's a, a, a Cars, like Pixar, you know, Cars 3 racing game because they like the Cars movies as well. We did Cars uh, a ways back on this episode where we also talked about Eminent Domain, as we mentioned earlier. Uh, so, yeah, pick that bad boy up. 199, are you out of your mind? With the uh, Spider-Man game, which gets rave reviews. And so if that deal is still available, um, check it out via our Amazon links on our site at lastnighters.com. Show notes more, lastnighters.com slash 47. So this has been our episode on Wreck-It Ralph. And I think I think we're going to come at you next week with a bit of a treat. We are going to have the Anarchist Mom, who will be launching a podcast soon. No pressure, Anarchist Mom. But uh, she wants to talk about one of her favorite movies, The Lord of the Rings. And we're going to cover the uh, trilogy in an episode next week. So that will be a lot of fun. Lord of the Rings on The Last Nighters next week with Anarchist Mom. So any final comments, Robert, before we move on? On down the road. You got wrecked, Daniel. Eight point, what did you give it? Eight point something earlier? 8.1 on that rector scale. 8.1 on the IMDb's. Good job. No, that's, uh, I, you're not totally wrong. I mean, you know, I, I just imagine watching it with, you know, your your daughters would really evoke some, some more positive, some more positive feels than I probably did. So right on. I can, I can believe that. Um, thanks for listening, everybody, to another episode of The Last Nighters. It's been my pleasure speaking with you. And um, yeah, we'll catch you out on the next episode. If you want to check out some teas, buy some teas on Tee Public. Go to teapublic.com slash Trubster for some, uh, if you want to support the show and, uh, you know, get yourself some styling, styling gear to wear for the holidays or make some gifts. Do that. That'd be great. Keep the lights on. We appreciate it. Yeah, we're doing that gifting time. So that's uh, tpublic.com slash Trubster, T-R-U-B-B-S-T-E-R. And we will have that on the show notes page and more. We also have a deals page, lastnighters.com slash deals. So check that out for the Cyber Monday deals. They're still sticking around. I'll even put the uh, link to Trubster at tpublic on there as well. So uh, check it out. And I will say good night from last night. Thanks for joining us, everyone. And continuing the transmission, we've got the documents here for Actual Anarchy. Robert, I don't know if you had a chance to watch any of the bonus material on Wreck-It Ralph, but they did have a couple of deleted scenes that oh, yeah? I watched. And it was just, you know, the storyboard style, like the um, very roughly, you know, drawn... Animatics. Yes. And they had, <coughs> excuse me, they had another character in there who was like this um, sort of Matthew McConaughey-esque laid back dude. Turtle? Who was like a sea turtle? No, he was like a human or at least drawn as a human type figure. But he was all like, oh, don't worry about it, man. Oh, you just need to de- decompress, you know, and oh, y- you need to uh, come to this. Um, what do they call it? They, uh, it was a different uh, video game that he went to 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 relax. And it was like a social network type game where it's just beaches and sunshine and popsicles and tacos and everyone's going good 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 it's all good man and like 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 so i think it was supposed to be a play on uh the vapidness of social networks like facebook could be or it could be a a dig at like second life games like that yeah it could be i mean this this came out in 2012 and i know they were it takes these guys years to make to one make of these it. movies. So yeah, it might have been written in like 2010 or something. Yeah, so maybe it's like a MySpacey type thing. I mean, Facebook was sort of around back then, and it was more like pokes and likes, I think, back then. Yeah, and Twitter was just getting started, so they could have been digging at that a little bit. But yeah, there there's a totally different culture, and it's interesting how the attitudes towards that kind of stuff has changed with time. I remember the first time I ever really heard of Twitter, around the time of Twitter, was when um, Sully landed the airplane on the potomac is that the potomac or what was it what river the hudson there we go the hudson and apparently people were tweeting it passengers on the plane were tweeting it like what was happening and that was the very first news about it so that was like a way for you know instant news was like you know a network of that sort of thing oh yeah you know i kind of recall that it was related to the arab spring really yeah i think so like like information was getting out via twitter or something like that Mm. though if if I recall, that was more of a manufactured revolution, if you will. I mean, I, I don't know how much of it's like true or conspiratorial. I mean, that was back well, in the Alex Jones days when I listened to him more. Well, it is interesting how some platforms are just taken for granted. Like everybody uses them, blah, blah, blah. It's totally fine. Yeah, it's a cesspit of whatever, but 
who cares? But then along comes something like minds.com and then it immediately gets denounced, you know, like saying that it's the platform for alt-right racists and neo-Nazis when it's, you know, this, uh, the, what was it? The synagogue shooter, the most recent synagogue shooter in uh, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Was it minds or Gab for that one? Maybe it was Gab. Yeah, you're probably right. It probably was Gab. Is Gab still shut? They were shut down for a little while, then they were back. But yeah, yeah, you're right. It was Gab. So it was Gab that was... It's like, I'm sure he probably had an account on Twitter and Facebook too, but you don't hear people talking about that as being this evil place. Right, And then yeah. Gab gets shut down and demonetized. PayPal uh, withdraws the ability to you know accept payments for them and all that stuff, yeah. Yeah. And you see more and more of that. And, and it's it's sort of like the um, attacking the source instead of the argument situation, which people will often do when you bring up books by people or quotes by people, articles by others, um, that they want to paint with the racist brush. And it it's like a magical brush that has every color that you would ever need. And all you have to do is proclaim something racist. And that's the end of the discussion. Right. Because you don't want to be associated with that because that's the worst thing in the world to be. Right. Though it does seem like Facebook is starting to fall a little bit out of favor. And speaking of Minds, I know when people have been uh, setting up Minds accounts and then trying to share them on Facebook uh, to, you know, let people know, right? Like, hey, if you want to find me on Minds, this is where you'd find me. The um, Facebook actually doesn't like Minds links. And so it says, this is a suspicious link. Please verify through this CAPTCHA that you really intend to post this link. Sweet. And I don't get that for, you know, any other links that I've posted. They already like de, uh, deprioritize links. Like if you put a link in a post or something, like it doesn't get as much reach. Hmm. So I can only imagine what they're doing with, you know, competitors' websites, right? Yeah, I've heard that Facebook is falling out of fashion for sure. I mean, they've been saying that for years, but supposedly, you know, the young people are getting off of it and moving on to different platforms. And hopefully this will lead to a decrease in people saying that Facebook is a monopoly. Because that's just a ridiculous thing to say, but who knows? Right, and we're we're still there because it's where the people are, right? And it's where most people are, so we're still going to use it as long as they'll permit us to do so. We weren't deplatformed like so many pages were recently, but I think that's mostly due to our lack of popularity. So if right. you guys want to uh, help us achieve notoriety and get kicked off, um, you know, spread it around to your friends, like our page and YouTube channels and all that stuff. That's right. Help us get kicked off Facebook. Not that, not that we're trying too hard. I mean, we're just trying to speak truth, right? You know, sound economics and voluntarist principles. Dash Sounds like a nightmare to me. Roth, <laughs> Rothbardianism and all of that. Oh, by the way, I forgot to mention, I think, on the uh, last night's portion of the show is that we accept uh, Patreon donations as well. So if you want to support the show monetarily, uh, other than by buying on those amazing links for the amazing deals for the Black Friday, Cyber Monday extravaganza of capitalist uh, exuberance at actualanarchy.com slash deals, you can hit us up at Patreon for actualanarchy.com slash Patreon. So just throw that plug in there. And uh, one of the bonuses that we throw in at the $5 level is the pre-show and post-show. Post-show is called Kathleen Turner Overdrive, which is me and Robert just kicking back even more laid back than we do on this portion of the show, if that's even possible. We figure out a way. We find a way. Life finds a way. And we're about to get into that, I think. I think we are. Yeah. We're about to get up all up in that business. So, Robert, this has been a fun episode on uh, Wreck-It Ralph. As you yeah. said, I'm glad we did it. It was, uh, it was a pretty good movie. Do you care it to revise okay. your score at all? No. No, I'm not going to give any nostalgia points. I mean, you know, friendship, it's good. Good. It's a good thing. Anytime you're you're involving, you know, friendships being friendships and, and I'm saying really dumb things right now. So the good ship friendship. All right. Well, we, we've got one that goes way back and we're about to get into the Kathleen Turner overdrive. So uh, good night, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Maximum freedom. Chipmunks. C-H-I-P-M-U-N-K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do 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 do